Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Brandon Harvey. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Uh, For folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about you and uh, who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, Right now, I am uh, a director of engineering at a company called Magnopus here in LA that does a lot of uh, AR, VR, mixed reality projects. And uh, I also, well, prior to that, I worked at another LA company called Oblong Industries um, that did a lot of interesting um, gesture interactions, uh, spatial interfaces, uh, high-end immersive environments, cave environments, uh, large display walls, a lot of interesting and unusual uh, spatial problems to solve there. And I've also worked uh, in some corporate R&D lab settings uh, as, a, as a programmer prior to that. Awesome. Yeah, I think one of the things that I love about your career is how much boundary pushing there has been in, in the, the project that you've worked on. Um, Unlike, I, I would say, you know, the majority of industry, it's the, these are projects that hadn't really been done before. It's more or less, you know, some of the things that you you've worked on. I think you'd say they were they were the first of their kind, right? Yeah, and that's that was kind of that has explicitly been something I was chasing. Um, mm-hmm. Was I wanted to work in an emerging technology area? Uh, I wanted to be part of discovering new stuff, um, and that meant that I've been part of some interesting failures. Um, <laughs> some interesting and exciting things that, that, um, technologically presented novel challenges and really scratched that itch, but also didn't, didn't change the world. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, that's kind of the risk of the career path that I chose. Uh, I, cause I kept going for, uh, those kind of, uh, swing for the fences kind of projects. Well, failure is a good teacher, right? Yeah, it's, it is a good teacher. Um, and you know, I, one thing I like about our industry is that uh, you're not punished for failure uh, mm-hmm. as long as you're, as long as it's, you know, an honest failure. Um, and, you know, people respect the fact that you uh, pick yourself up and, and try another, another big project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I remember, I remember when I was uh, pretty new in the industry, uh, I had a conversation with, um, Danny Hillis, uh, I think you might be familiar with him and his company, uh, Applied Minds. He's not there anymore, but it mm-hmm. seems to be uh, a little bit of a kindred spirit to Oblong, creating a lot of um, creating a lot of projects that hadn't been done before. You know, trying to move things more from the theoretical to the practical. They did a lot of work with uh, defense and um, things like that. But uh, I remember I was kind of curious about what he was looking for when he was hiring. And it was interesting because he he cared a lot less about what school you went to or if you worked at a big name company or something like that. Uh, what he said really caught his attention is if you were at a failed startup. Uh, and I always, I always thought that was really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that is that is interesting because you def- that definitely does, you know, when the tide goes out, you know, things are not feeling good. It does really, it lays bare um, who creates value, where value comes from, um, mm-hmm. you know, what makes it all work. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as engineers, we need that. Um, <laughs> a lot of us got educated uh, narrowly. Uh, we, you know, some of us got educated or trained uh, to do a particular task, um, almost a vocational approach some folks have to computer science education or training. And um, I think that sometimes leaves us 
a little flat footed when it's time to talk about um, what really matters about what we're building. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you're part of an organization that is struggling or a project that is struggling, it's not just about, well, we built it to spec um, (laughs) or it performs 10% better. It's Mm -hmm. look how clean my code is, right? It's like, which part of this can we not do without, or we can, you know, are we really going to rewrite this or are we going to work with what we have? And that's, that's tough stuff to be a part of, but that, that is where the rubber meets the road. So I recommend that to anybody. Yeah. So you, your career, uh, you, I think you've been a research engineer, lead engineer, and then I think you, you became a director of engineering. I think you were a product manager for a while too. What were those transitions like? Like, what was it, what was it like becoming a lead engineer or becoming a director of engineering? Um, for me, that was, that was kind of a natural extension of my personality. I think some people need to take on those leadership roles uh, more as a change in what they're doing or a change in the way they regard their job. It's definitely a shift, but, but for me, you know, I was, I always wanted to have a big say in not just how to build the thing, but what I was working on. So the research setting where I started was great for that. Um, and I guess you're either kind of wired like that or you, or you're not to some extent, but I really wanted to say, you know, Hey, the prototype needs this and that feature, or, I would just go build it whether or not anybody asked for it. Um, so, you know, and I think a lot of programmers maybe take that initiative, whether at work or in their own hobby projects, but that, that kind of initiative, that, that is the, that's the thing in yourself you have to cultivate and use a lot as you jump to overseeing the work of others. So for me, once I got the opportunity to maybe not manage, but kind of be a little senior to a younger colleague and kind of steer that person a little bit. Uh, That was the first time uh, where I was um, broadening my sphere beyond my desk. Mm -hmm. um, And that felt okay to me. Um, And once I'd been in the industry for, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, maybe a little less than that was the first time where I was explicitly, you know, managing someone. And that Mm -hmm. is, you know, when the org chart says it, that that is that is definitely a transition in life mm-hmm. um, because fairly quickly I discovered there was some issues with you know that I needed to deal with with that person who was reporting to me and had to have like a, a feedback conversation where some things needed to get corrected and that was really awkward and embarrassing and that was not <laughs> in you know that was not something I had been prepared for or nobody had showed me how to do that. And also, yeah, when you, you need know, to, when you need to correct your code, it tends not to be very awkward yeah, or embarrassing right, a conversation. Right. Yeah. And also, you know, this person, th- there was issues of lateness and conduct and stuff like that. I had never, you know, manifested those issues myself. So I'd never been on the receiving end of a conversation like that. So I just didn't mm. know how it was done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel good about how that went. We got through it and actually that was successful. And I ended up having a long productive working relationship with that person. Nice. So that was that was kind of my initiation into the ranks of of um, actually leading. Mm-hmm. And you know, from there there's there's kind of a natural scaling that happens. If people see that you're that you are heads up and taking care of people and you know, getting stuff done but but keeping smiling faces on folks, that gets noticed and and the rest of it just kind of takes care of itself. Nice. Yeah, so what I'm I'm a little bit curious about I, 
how this relates to, I, I, I'm wondering if this relates a little bit to what we were saying before about that, that awareness of where the rubber meets the road and like what's important. Did you, did you feel like that was something that you had to be more mindful of as you moved into more leadership uh, positions that you didn't, that you weren't really thinking about as much before? Yes, there's, there's the pleasurable isolation of the programmer, right? Like to some extent, we, you know, as an individual contributor, you're getting paid to kind of solve Sudoku puzzles all day long. And it <laughs> feels really good. Um, and there's a lot of things you don't have to worry about. And you get a job that's a, that's a pleasurable addiction. Um, and and that's, that is fun. You know, programming is fun. When you have to worry about where the rubber meets the road and like, you know, the Sudoku puzzle aspect kind of, kind of begins to taper off. And to some extent, you know, I can understand why a lot of people don't want to make that transition, uh, why they want to remain individual contributors. And I'm a big... That's very common. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big advocate for letting people recognize that and upholding that and creating a place within a company where that's not, that's not seen as stagnation or failure. That's seen as, you know, a healthy choice. Uh, you know, recognize how you best create value. But for me, the the challenge and opportunity management was um, was to see that hey, I can help this. You know, I care about this program. I care about this software, and the and the me- mechanisms inside of it are delightful to me. But I care about this organization too, and the mechanism of that. And I want to see us all succeed. So there's another kind of leverage you can get. That's it's a longer, bigger lever over what's really happening um, once you step away from that individual contributor role. And, um, for me, that was, that was a good trade. Um, and I like seeing my whole team succeed. Um, and, but it does involve, you know, being part, uh, you know, of hard conversations for a bigger proportion of your day trade-offs where there's not really an optimal solution, or you won't know if you made the right call for a year, um, Mm -hmm. just kind of unpleasant, um, situations that, that it's like, well, I'm just going to have to trust my gut on this one and just live with it. Um, so there is that on the, on the management track. Yeah, there seems to be, as an individual contributor, there's, there's much more of your day where there's there's clear right or wrong answers, like it compiles mm-hmm. or it doesn't compile, like mm-hmm. it the bug is fixed or it's not fixed, the feature works or it doesn't work. Yeah, I can definitely see how how that that's a, that's a big a big difference. So when you were, you, you did a bunch of hiring too, like when you were assembling these teams, like how did you, how did you view that? What were you looking for? Um, when looking at hiring engineers, um, there's a few filters which narrow the field a lot um, right up front. And that was like, can they code? Um, so it just turns out that a lot of coders can't code. Um, <laughs> okay. That sentence doesn't sound correct, but let's, let's, uh, yeah, tell me more about that. Um, or at least a lot of applicants for job for yeah, coding positions, yeah, for you sure. know, just don't don't have the chops. And I was, um, you know, it's a minority of programming positions overall that require actual programming. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of frameworks that that can let you kind of paint by numbers or cobble things together that you cut and paste it off the Stack Overflow. Put and, the square block in the square hole. Yeah, the triangle. Yeah. Block, yeah. Um, so the first job is to discover not the people who can put the right shaped block in the right shaped hole, but like who's a woodworker. Mm. And, um, so you're looking for tells in somebody, in the way somebody talks about their work or the the kinds of things they say on their resume. 
and you're looking for evidence, uh, at least you know, for the kind of jobs that I've hired for. We're looking for evidence that somebody was not satisfied at the framework level or the uh, you know the builder level, the project builder mm-hmm. or um, uh, scaffolding tool, uh, but they're they're actually going in and and slinging uh, code at a low level. Um, and those kind of people can be pointed at all kinds of languages and all kinds of systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're more portable. Um, so you have to worry less about skill fit. Like they know C sharp, but they don't know Java at, or, you know, they know JavaScript, but not TypeScript. Like who, who cares? Um, I don't worry. spend too much time worrying about that stuff. Um, but then, you know, the other thing I want to know about somebody is, um, the personality that will work in, in, in the kind of organization that you have. There are different kinds of personalities that work well, um, depending on um, what you're doing and what kind of company you are and what kind of team you're putting them on. It's that there's this analogy that I still go back to, and I still think it's pretty good. I think a guy named Robert Cringely uh, first talked in these terms in the 90s, but he talked in terms of the, uh, the commando, the infantry, hmm. and the police. Have you heard this? Okay. No, I'm all ears now. He said, um, you know, at tech companies or at different parts of the same tech company or like at a company over its lifetime, you're going to have three kinds of uh, engineers. The commando, they work in small groups. They work best in small groups or solo. Uh, They are scaling the cliff with a knife in their teeth, uh, you know, to clear out, uh, you know, a sniper or machine gun nest. They're achieving specific tactical objectives with a high degree of autonomy. And you know, and you know people like this, if you think about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, you throw them into a situation and you're like, you just have to do the right thing. Um, just figure it out. Um, and again, you don't, you can't throw 12 of these people at the problem um, because often they're, they're quite independent minded and they're, um, you know, they, they want that autonomy um, or they're not happy. Now, when you need to actually storm the beaches uh, and like grab a big piece of territory, you can't use commandos. You need infantry. They work better in larger groups. They ha- they do drills. Um, they're more similar to one another in their approach to problems. There's re- less room for autonomy. Um, you need them to move in formation, and uh, you can establish you know larger things with them. But you may have to have the commandos going first, right? Mm-hmm. And then. You know, once you once you've gotten some territory with infantry, once you've you know built a service or built a product, infantry are not great at simply keeping the peace. You know, you, there's there's a reason you don't have like cops. You know, you don't have uh, soldiers walking a beat. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have cops. You have police. And what they do is maintain order. They maintain the status quo. That is their that is their job. And Maintenance is a key word there. Sounds like maintenance, bug fixing, um, you know, operation, operating a, a service. You know, maybe incremental improvements to something that's working really great over time. And um, so you need to recognize that that each one of these groups has some mutual distrust of the others because they're really different kinds of folks. Mm-hmm. But if you think about a healthy software organization or a healthy software product, it, it's going to need all three at different times or at different parts. Um, you may need commandos on you know to be building out new features or trying new approaches you know if netflix is like you know what's our what's our what could our new recommendation algorithm look like or you know let's go in a different direction with something they're going to spin up a little a little team and they're going to go noodle on that problem right those kind of folks 
are going to be different than the folks who are simply keeping watch on Netflix vast, you know, infrastructure and, and they're streaming, you know, CDNs and so forth. So anyway, not to belabor it, but I have hired a lot of commandos and some infantry. And I've also mm-hmm. been in the position of helping act as translator and go between mm-hmm. between police and infantry and commandos in the same company because you know you need those even at a little startup like Oblong you know there's a half million line legacy code base that needs people to just advocate for its health and stability at the same time as you know we need a brand new feature built in you know 90 days mm-hmm. um, and there's there's two different people who are helping get both those things both those goals accomplished so, so when you were straight you're... from hiring but go ahead yeah, yeah. Well, no. So I'm curious. Like, so, so a little bit ago, you you were saying that you look for those tells to see if someone uh, actually knows how to code and and that they don't just stay at the surface level, putting the right shaped blocks in the right shaped holes. And it also sounds like you you were looking for certain tells of which type of you know person they were, whether they were the the commando or the inventory. Like, what were what were those tells? Like, were there any specific things that you would look for? Was there a particular sign that would more or less help you predict uh, whether or not they were what you were looking for? There's an art to reading resumes for sure. And it's hard to communicate what that is. But one thing that I would do is just walk through somebody's career in chronological order and just think about the choices they made and what kind of person made those choices. And I'm often looking for somebody, for example, who cares about the kind of problems they're solving develop some investment in the overall outcome. Because even if they're going to be an individual contributor, I still want them to have their head up and understand why we're doing what we're doing and care. So for me, somebody who has kind of a mercenary approach to their career where they're changing jobs every six months <laughs> might, you know, might be less interesting, or at least that's a, that's a potential yellow flag. I'd be like, well, why is that happening? At the same time, somebody who is got a laundry list of technologies, but they are They've been working at Big Corp for 12 years and been associated with the same project for a really long time. I I would also ask the the opposite question, you know, like, well, how motivated are they to kind of like learn and grow? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see a growth mentality on the one hand, but I don't want to see somebody who's totally just chasing fashion or you know trading and trading, uh, right. maybe burning out on workplaces and just like jumping to another one over and over. So there's kind of a there's kind of a middle that I'm looking for of somebody who's on an upward trail and they're clearly, you know, building and growing. And, and, you know, one thing on their resume is saying that I was, you know, I assisted in this and not too far down the page. It's like, I proposed that, or, you know, I led a mm-hmm. small team that, that did that. And, you know, you can't really fake that stuff uh, because then when it's time, if I see that stuff and I'm talking to you, I'm going to say, what did you actually do? Like, you know, if you were part of a team that did blah, 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 I need to know what did you do? No, like really, what did you do? Mm -hmm. And the people who are, again, heads up and who have a little bit of a a sense of like, how do we do this thing excellently? And like, also, why are we doing this? Those those people do stick out. Mm -hmm. Um, So then there's, you know, beyond that, there's just the airport test. Uh, That's what we used to call it. The airport test. My friend, Maddie, we used to say, you know, if you are, if you have to take a little work trip mm. and you and coworker X are, uh, you know, your connection is delayed and you're stuck together for five hours at Denver airport, 
are you happy or sad? <laughs> you know, um, do you, is, it, is that fun or is that not fun? So um, we, uh, we really, you know, talked about the airport test for years at Oblong. Mm. And because you do have to spend a lot of your daylight hours with folks and just getting along is, is, is important. We are, we are mammals. So I believe in that too. Yeah. I mean, I think all the other things are important, but if the interpersonal relationships are so difficult that everything else gets poisoned, like the other stuff almost doesn't even matter at that point. It's like very hard to have the endurance to continue working on projects if, you know, there are people that are constantly throwing sand in the in the gears, so to speak. So I mean that that is a that is an important one for sure. Yeah. One of the things that that I wanted to go back to is the um the like that that bit about uh, moving around too quickly or or staying on a project too long. I think that 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 is really important, right? I mean, if someone if someone hasn't been at a place longer than six months, then they're never really going to be there long enough to experience uh, the pain and learn from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think I think there is something that comes from from creating something and then operating it in production for a long time to actually see where that those architecture decisions went and and get some perspective on that. And then, of course, on the flip side, if you are not really moving on or learning or growing or trying to make new mistakes and learn from those, I think that's also uh, a pretty big issue. Yeah. Uh, it definitely seems like like job uh, job hopping uh, can be pretty common. Um, it's It's hard to fault people who do that. It seems like getting a getting a raise usually is um, is much easier taking a new position rather than trying to, uh, uh, you know, argue for one at a current company. But hopefully that's that's changing. I think, uh, you know, ideally good managers do recognize the the market value of their um, their team and can advocate for for appropriate uh, raises. Yeah, the the thing I would say about that 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 may work fine for some people for for some kind of roles, um, but if your job is really transactional like that, what I mean by transactional is like I can do skill X, we will give you this money to apply skill X. That can be lucrative when skill X is important and when it is scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody can deny that. But you know, the more transactional you are, the more replaceable you are too, mm-hmm. um, and that the music will stop at some point. <laughs> um, yeah. Either you will get tired of learning skill X, Y, Z, Q as the fashions of software change, or you will get emotionally tired of just, you know, being seen in that light and not really being part of, you know, not really being part of the team. So again, if it's working for you, great. But the kind of you know, the kind of software organizations I want to be a part of, the kind of the ones that like do something big uh, that you've heard of, whether that's making Slack or whether that's making, you know, Oculus or, or whatever, that that stuff comes from teams who are working as teams and not treating each other as like skill transactions, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I want to build those and I want to work with those. And I think the best people in their industry are doing the same. Yeah. So. Okay, so we so we talked a little bit about uh, what you looked for in a team. So now, once somebody uh, you hired someone and they're they're working with you, were there were there certain I don't know patterns or or things that that you 
you saw that you were trying to, you recognize like, oh, a lot of the people, you know, now work for me, they're missing this or, you know, this is something that I, that I have to show them so that they, you know, quote unquote, get it. Was, was there anything like that? Anything that you particularly tried to instill in, in your teams? That's an interesting question. I wanted to instill, you know, a sense of kind of, we own these problems. Mm. So, you know, if people are like tuning out when people are discussing bugs that aren't theirs or aren't their problem, (laughs) uh, that's, that's frustrating because often when people are talking about in standup or whatever it is about a bug that they're struggling with, it's somebody who's not so close to it, who can make the suggestion, you know, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Or who can come across something a week later, you know, in a blog post they're reading and be like, hey, this sounds like it applies to that problem you're having. Mm. Um, And uh, those kinds of people, those kinds of insights are so valuable. And that's, that's why you have a team. Um, So there's the, you know, there's the obvious first order benefit of like, I write the code, I solve the bug, but there's the second order benefit of like, I'm around and I have my antenna up for what my team is doing. Um, So also for me, you know, I wanted to uh, make it clear that folks have some responsibilities, which aren't just their bug tickets or their, you know, uh, their user stories. Uh, So we would run a, you know, I like to run a separate, a separate, you know, ticket tracking system uh, for just like tasks uh, that people could give each other or that I would, I would give the team. And that, that could be, you know, update that wiki page, or it could be, you know, try out this new piece of hardware or whatever it is, softer stuff, people being accountable to each other as accountable for softer stuff as they are for the, for their software deliverable. Just because that that sense of of uh, being responsible and accountable to each other and and working for each other and kind of serving each other that that's something I want to try to cultivate in the team. But you can't exactly tell people be like that. You you have to set up some some mechanisms for people to be like that, and then they start modeling that behavior for each other. Also, the you know when there are people on the team who had the right kind of drive and the right kind of uh, the right kind of vision about you know uh, where we're going. Some people in particular were really good about scoping down unreasonable features and saying, hey, you know, I think we can do this in that amount of time, not this. Mm. Or, you know, hey, I, pull me aside and say, hey, I think the team is like a little burnt out right now. You know, have you noticed this and that? So that kind of mentality of people who are thinking about how we're doing what we're doing and are helping us level up, what I would do is, well, consciously and unconsciously refer others on the team to them, you know, praise them and thank them. and be like, yeah, this, this is the, this is what we want. So we, uh, I think we were successful over time in, in kind of keeping a, keeping a good vibe on the teams that I ran because, because we had some people who kind of grew in their roles. And then we pointed those people and, and gave those people more and more responsibility. And so the junior devs, the people who are onboarding, you know, they're, they know who they're looking to. So even, even if those people, those kind of leadership people or those you know, even if they're not explicitly leading anyone, people are looking to them. They're, they're taking those cues from them. So look to the people in your organization who you admire, I would say, and think about what they're doing and like why you admire them or why leadership seems to value them so much. What's the difference between what they're doing and what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. That proactive ownership is really important. The, um, the sort of looking around and, and seeing what you can improve as opposed to just waiting for 
a manager or someone to explicitly open that ticket and you know tell you to do it is sort of the difference between uh just being a pair of hands or also you know being a brain and or having a brain and thinking and ideally when you're putting together a team you you really don't want all of that you don't want all of the onus on you to specifically have to tell everyone what to do right i mean i think that's you know looking towards the future i mean if 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 someone is really just waiting around to be told specific commands i mean that seems like that type of position is going to get replaced by a robot at some point right there's another thing i'm looking at and a young developer it, the kind of mental benchmark I have, which is how long can that person go without without oversight or without guidance or without being told what to do uh, until they like spin out into the weeds? <laughs> so it's like there, you know, that I worked with people on my team who was like, if if I just didn't hear from that guy on a desert island for six weeks, at the end of six weeks, something awesome would be there. You know, mm-hmm. he would just he would just do something awesome. Whereas you know, I've worked with people who you know, anything more than a day or two. And they were at risk of like going down a rabbit hole of being like, you know, oh, this, you know, I saw this stutter, it might have been a driver bug. So then I looked at this driver. And then I looked at this other driver vendor. And they had these other, you know, they have these alternative drivers we can consider, but blah, blah, blah. And they've kind of gone sideways mm-hmm. with, with the right spirit, but not, you know, they were they were doing interesting technical stuff the whole time. Uh, at a very high level, but they were they were going down roads that don't make any sense for us. So it's like we can't change drivers. You know, we we're shipping an appliance and it's at hundreds of customers, and like it runs on such and such a driver. Like changing drivers would take a year of the company's time. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah, so right. that's that that's just like being heads up about the situation in which your work is done is is like something that's hard to teach. But it's something you're looking for and hoping that somebody picks up over time. It's like, yeah, you do work. Yeah, you open an editor window and you type some code in there. But like, what happens to that code and who uses it and how does it get into the world and like, how does it get bought and sold? Like, you have to have some understanding of of that great chain of being of how your work lands in the world so that you can understand like, oh, yeah, we could never change. We can't change driver vendors. You know, without like, right. that's, that's something the CTO can be talking about, but that's a waste of time for me to be talking about. Um, yeah. That's kind of a, like a random overly specific example. But the point is, some people have the capacity to go for a really long time. And even if you're not giving them or spoon feeding them work, they'll find work to do because they have that compass that's telling them mm-hmm. like where value is. And other people spin out and find themselves just like twiddling with their Emacs settings or whatever. And, yeah, I really like the metaphor of the, the compass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned this in in another episode, but um, I remember for me there was a there was a period of time in my career where I really thought of myself as like like a like a freelancer with clients, even though I was in a big company like Disney, and I would kind of go around trying to like like it was almost like biz dev for me, like taking people out to lunch and trying to hear like what they were working on or what their problems were, even if they were. Well, actually, none of them were in engineering. This would be things like, oh, they're in editorial or they're in like media buying or whatever. And I just wanted to know what problems they had in their lives as almost trying to figure out like, okay, what value can I, what can I add? Like, is there a technological solution that would make their life better, save them times, like reduce, you know, their headaches? 
something something like that. And I never really thought of it as this value compass. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I, I don't even know where I picked up that habit. But I think that is something that that can definitely contribute to if someone now I could also see as a manager if I had somebody who was not doing what I told them to do, but they were like taking everyone out to lunch and creating all of these other projects that uh, did not align with what I needed to get done that would piss me off. But I think in the absence of that, it's probably <laughs> something I would I would admire. Yeah, any of these any of these attributes we could put forward as positive attributes, if taken to their logical extreme, become insane. <laughs> um, so you know, yeah, like a, a sense of proportion. I mean, that's why that that's why there are podcasts about this, and we have to like talk about it. It's more art than science, for sure. It's kind know, of you, funny. Like, I wonder. Yeah, it's like, man, if I had to manage myself, like, like or junior me, or like me younger in my career, like, would I just like really? hate myself or I'd be like, fine, he can just go do whatever he wants and I'll just trust him to not like blow something up. I mean, <laughs> have you ever thought about like your your habits as a, a junior or mid-level and what that would be like, like on your team? I have not thought about that. I don't like that thought. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Time paradox. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like uh, I kind of, I kind of thrived with minimal supervision um, mm-hmm. and some people want more supervision and that is okay part of the game is knowing yourself Mm. um in the sense that as you get a little older and a little farther in your career i think you realize that you have more and more responsibility for maintaining the engine of you uh like there's been a lot of institutions that kind of like took care of you Mm. and maintained you but you know the way you like to work the kind of feedback you need like the kind of things that stress you out kind of things that give you a sense of achievement like that's that list of stuff that's actually nobody else's job like if you have a really great and sensitive boss maybe they'll help you with that but a lot of us don't uh get that kind of person yeah so you know if you want to really level up quickly like start noticing your own patterns um start you know hacking the system of you and be like oh i'm really productive in this and that way or i'm really stressed out by this and that situation or you know i keep finding myself stumbling on the same kind of mistakes um even noticing that and writing it down that sounds touchy feely that sounds squishy uh, you know, in, in, in the software it's industry, also scientific, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. If you approach it as like, as really like tuning and optimizing the engine that will make you all your money, you know, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that can, that goes down to like what you eat and like, what, what is your caffeine intake or your intake of other substances? Like how can you tune uh, the machine to make it work really well? I think a lot of people, especially in their twenties and thirties, you know, They've got so much energy and adrenaline and just like natural vibrancy and health. They don't have to worry about that stuff necessarily. But like if you do, there's another level of of capacity that is available to you. Mm, That's a really good point. I was having this conversation kind of reminds me of uh, this conversation I was having recently with someone uh, and they they were were talking about their their current employer. And they were saying that, you know, on one hand, it's really great. They sent them to this conference. Um, it's got all of like their, you know, these perks and, and benefits. But 
it's really annoying because this company doesn't want to do things. I forget how they said it. It's like they don't want to do things well or they don't want to do things right. Like all of their, you know, apps, like the UX is horrible and they don't want to fix it. They're using these older frameworks and they don't want to update. And it's 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 a lot of these things that that this engineer I was talking to just felt that this company was doing wrong or incorrectly. They just they didn't have that that foresight or that vision and it was just like a real problem and what became a little bit obvious to me was not that any of these things were real problems but that there was a values mismatch between this engineer and the company that this engineer uh, a little bit more junior in their career has i think some values that are that are common for people who are starting out which is much more about the idea of doing things right, doing things correctly, using newer technologies that are that are more powerful or more productive or at least more popular. And uh, the institution that they're working at, which might surprise no one, it was a bank. And a bank doesn't have those values. Mm. Um, I think we're all familiar if we've used any banking website or software, they don't necessarily value UX or company uh, customer uh, happiness. They are not you know, a delight, um, you know, focused product experience. And within an engineering team, I think they similarly don't value experimentation and innovation in the tools that they use, as opposed to valuing stability and um, consistency and uh, preventing uh, disasters or catastrophes that would be difficult to recover from. Yeah. And what I was trying to explain to this engineer is you it would be helpful for you to to know what your core values are. Maybe this is a core value for you, or maybe this is something that if you just think about it from another perspective, you can realize that you do also value consistency and um, stability, but maybe not. However, I would recommend that that's something that you learn about yourself, because if you do find yourself on these teams or companies that have competing value systems, you're always going to be running underwater. You're always going to have this friction with your managers, and it's just more or less going to cause a problem uh, in a lot of the areas of your life. And I, I don't think that's unique to this engineer. And I think in some cases, it may be an intractable problem. You know, you may not be able to find uh, a company that has the right uh, or, or complementary values, but it is one of those things that also can make your life a lot easier if you do find it. And in some cases, if you can very much um, broadcast those values in an interview with a company that that also has those values, it will make you that much more attractive to them. And when you interview with companies and they turn you down, which they will and they do, the instinct is to beat yourself up and to feel bad. But I almost think we should often just say thank you. <laughs> um, like, thanks for giving me the information that there wasn't a fit there. Because, you know, you don't know what was really going on behind closed doors, the, why they made that decision. But it might just be for exactly the reasons you're talking about. It might just, you might not have been happy there. And the people in that company might know that better than you do. Um, it's fine. Just say thank you next and move on. But uh, yeah, I've been, I've been often disappointed in applying for things and not getting them. I've ha definitely had my share and that's super frustrating, but I think holding out for the good fit, waiting for the good fit, and then, you know, realizing that, you know, sometimes you can't see whether there's a fit or not. So a no could mean anything. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, just roll on is, is yeah. what I would say about that. Yeah. It's like, it, it's not, it's not, 
it's not a dig at your ability to hunt. Like you are, you, you could be the most amazing hunter, but the point is they're looking for a shark, not a lion. And you would just not be, you would not be happy underwater at that company. So just like you said, like say thank you and move on. And your abilities are just totally fine. You know, don't worry about it. Brandon, this has been so great. Before we wrap up, is there is there anywhere that people can find out more about you online or any resources or anything that that uh, people should know about? You know, I keep a pretty low profile online. I have a LinkedIn page and that's about it right now. Fair uh, enough. But uh, if that changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. All right, folks, that's it. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniour.io. Thanks.